Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. A couple of weeks ago, Senator Chris Van Hollen was part of a congressional delegation that traveled to Egypt and Jordan to explore solutions to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. The senator is a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, which is chaired by Maryland's senior senator, Ben Cardin. Senator Van Hollen joins us on Zoom from his office on Capitol Hill. Senator, welcome back. Tom, it's good to be with you. So you went to Egypt and Jordan. Who'd you speak to? What'd you see? What'd you learn? Well, we met with the government officials uh, in both countries. We talked to humanitarian aid organizations and workers. Uh, we talked to some doctors uh, who were leaving Gaza, doctors who worked uh, with uh, humanitarian organizations. Uh, but we spent a lot of time in Rafa, which is the border crossing between Egypt and Israel, um, excuse me, between Egypt and Gaza, uh, to get a firsthand sense and account of the humanitarian situation um, and the humanitarian relief efforts. There's a report that uh, William Burns, the CIA director, is on his way to the Middle East uh, to meet with uh, officials from Hamas and Qatar to try to release all of the remaining hostages, and that would be accompanied by a ceasefire. You have called for a ceasefire. Uh, given your recent experience uh, in the area, uh, do you, are, are you optimistic that a ceasefire could, in fact, be uh, you know, a, a, pre a, a prelude to the release of the remaining hostages? Well, Tom, what I've called for is exactly what uh, Ambassador Burns's mission is, which is a ceasefire and release of all the hostages. Uh, that's been uh, my position. I think that's the best way to uh, end uh, this uh, terrible conflict that began on October 7th uh, with Hamas's brutal attacks on Israel. And uh, I think it's important that we prioritize uh, the release of hostages and prioritize uh, ending the humanitarian suffering among civilians in Gaza who have nothing to do with Hamas. There are nearly two million Gazans, by most estimates, who've been displaced. Uh, you said in a statement uh, concerning uh, Senate Re Resolution 504, which is a resolution uh, having to do with uh, aid to Israel, that it's painfully evident there's a big gap between what U.S. officials have requested of the Netanyahu government and the actions taken by his coalition. Um, Bibi Netanyahu uh, is, is a longstanding political figure in Israel, uh, and the relationship with the United States, his personal relationship with various presidents has been, you know, good, bad, and different. Um, but it sounds like uh, the U.S. and Israel uh, are really at loggerheads on, on the way they are executing uh, the war, uh, the war effort. What can be done about that? Well, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's an issue with the current uh, Netanyahu coalition, which is this very ultra-right extremist uh, coalition that includes uh, people like Smotrich and Ben Gavir. Um, the coalition members, for example, don't like any humanitarian aid to even transit through parts of Israel into Gaza. We took a long time, finally got what's called the Karim Shalom crossing open. Uh, but there have been a whole number of unnecessary political roadblocks along the way. Look, uh, from the beginning, um, both President Biden, Secretary Blinken, 
Um, all of us have stressed that the state of Israel has the absolute right, in fact, I would argue the duty, uh, to defend itself against Hamas and pursue Hamas to end the military uh, threat they pose and certainly um, ensure they no longer uh, govern in Gaza. Uh, but we've also been equally clear that how this war is prosecuted matters and that there needs to be much more focus on reducing the very high number of civilian casualties. You have over 25,000 Gazans dead, two-thirds of them women and children. Everyone recognizes that Hamas uses these despicable tactics of hiding among the population, uh, but that does not relieve uh, the Netanyahu coalition of the duty uh, to minimize civilian harm. Uh, they also have a duty, in my mind, to ensure that uh, we eliminate a lot of the obstacles to more humanitarian assistance getting through. Every one of the humanitarian organizations that I spoke with on this trip, and I was talking to about international NGOs that have operated worldwide for decades, uh, say they've never seen a, a worse situation when it comes to what's called deconfliction. So that means making sure that humanitarian aid workers can deliver aid to innocent people in Gaza without getting killed uh, by either bombs or artillery, uh, nor have they seen a more cumbersome uh, process uh, for inspections. Of course, Israel should inspect uh, goods uh, crossing in uh, to Gaza to make sure they're not what are called dual use. They can't be used for weapons. Uh, but I witnessed a warehouse full of goods of rejected items uh, that included things like uh, maternity uh, kits to help uh, with the delivery of babies, um, water purification uh, systems, water, water filtration systems. Um, these had all been items that were turned back. And when one item on a truck is rejected, the entire truck uh, is turned around and has to start at the beginning, a process which can take up to 20 days. So uh, this is why we have uh, Ambassador Satterfield, uh, who I've spoken to regularly, uh, who is supposed to help um, coordinate humanitarian relief and he's you know in constant discussions of course with the netanyahu uh coalition uh sometimes he's successful uh but many times he's not how would you characterize the mood of the arab neighbors of israel you were in egypt you spoke with officials there and in jordan um you know you've got on the one hand uh prime minister netanyahu saying that uh, hamas doesn't uh, really respond to anything other than military might, and ceasefires are counterproductive to getting the hostages back. And uh, he could point to not just people in his cabinet, but perhaps a large uh, proportion of, of the Israeli public who who believes him and, and, and who agrees with that. Um, but in terms of the Arab neighbors who at some point uh, ultimately might be able to be involved in, uh, in, in ushering a, a, in a, a peace plan, um, how, how are they feeling about uh, Israel's prosecution of the war? Well, first of all, I, I would point out, Tom, that the um, one time that we were successful at getting um, some of the hostages re released uh, was when there was that um, humanitarian pause, a humanitarian uh, timeout. Um, so the idea, and it looks like Ambassador Burns is, uh, CIA Director Burns is pursuing this, uh, would be to release all the hostages um, as part of a, a, a ceasefire. The answer to your question regarding um, surrounding countries, 
uh, is that they've been very, very outspoken um, in expressing uh, their concerns about uh, what's happening in Gaza. They they all were outraged um, and and voiced their outrage, at least the countries I went to, Jordan and Egypt, um, about the despicable, heinous Hamas attacks on Israel um, and the brutality of those attacks uh, and on the fact that hostages uh, were taken. Uh, but they've also been very outspoken and critical uh, about how the Netanyahu coalition has uh, prosecuted the war. And all of them have been clear uh, that uh, if we're going to see any light at the end of this very dark tunnel, um, we have to have a solution that does two things. One creates uh, a two states, a state for the Palestinian people um, that can live side by side in stability and peace um, with Israel and full security for Israel. Uh, and when you do that, uh, the other Arab countries that have not made peace yet with Israel or not normalized uh, with Israel uh, need to normalize uh, relations with Israel. Now, the two countries I went to, uh, Egypt and Jordan, already have normalized relations uh, with Israel. But other countries in the region, other Arab countries, have not. One of the most important, of course, is Saudi Arabia. Um, and so Saudi Arabia can play a very important role here. Saudi Arabia has said very clearly uh, that they want to normalize relations with Israel, but that has to include a two-state solution where the Palestinian people are able to live in dignity and self-determination uh, and ensure um, Israel's security um, under those arrangements. And does the United States have sufficient leverage to, uh, you know, oblige the Netanyahu coalition to pursue a two-state solution. This is not something that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been uh, in favor of for decades now. Uh, and is is withholding military aid. Uh, we've given Israel nearly $40 billion over the last 10 years. Uh, is is the withholding of that aid um, the, the, the best and only leverage the United States may have in influencing uh, the conduct of the Israeli government? So um, you're right. Uh, President Biden has repeatedly said uh, that if we're going to have, you know, a reconstruction in Gaza and we're going to eventually have stability and peace, you need a two-state uh, solution. Um, this will, of course, require reforming the Palestinian Authority, which is the governing uh, Palestinian entity on the West Bank, which long ago, decades ago, uh, did recognize Israel's right to exist, unlike Hamas, uh, which, of course, has been focused on the destruction uh, of the state of Israel. So, you know, President Biden has made clear we need to move in that direction. He has been publicly rebuffed um, by Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu. And so it's going to be very important, uh, in my view, uh, that President Biden come out with a plan that's big and bold. Right now in Israel, President Biden has much higher public support and standing uh, than Prime Minister Netanyahu. I believe Prime Minister Netanyahu has put his own personal political ambitions uh, first uh, in this uh, moment, uh, above, for example, prioritizing the release of hostages and other things. So uh, President Biden is going to need to be very strong and also make it very clear, Tom, that as part of creating a two-state solution, you also need to have 
all the other Arab countries that I mentioned that have not yet normalized relations with Israel uh, do so. And I, I do think that when that question is put to people in Israel and to Palestinians, uh, all of them will support that uh, vision. Now, I do believe the Biden administration could be using more effective use of the U.S. leverage. Um, we have lots of important tools, uh, including our vote at the U.N. Um, we need to make sure that we use that uh, effectively. Uh, with respect to military assistance, uh, I've put forward a proposal along with 17 other colleagues in the Senate that would actually apply a, a uniform standard of conduct to all countries uh, that are receiving military aid uh, under uh, the, the president's supplemental request. And I would argue should be extended universally uh, across the board anyway. So this would apply to Ukraine, it would apply to Israel, it would apply to you know Taiwan or any countries in East Asia and the Pacific. And the three elements are number one, every recipient of US military assistance um, needs to provide us with clear assurances that they will comply with international humanitarian law. That's number one. Number two, uh, that all those recipients of U.S. military assistance have to cooperate with U.S. and U.S.-supported efforts to provide humanitarian assistance into areas of conflict where U.S. weapons are being used. So that would include Ukraine. It would also include Israel in, in, in Gaza. And third, uh, it has a reporting requirement, again, that applies equally to every a country uh, under the bill uh, that would ensure transparency and accountability with respect to those those first two priorities, among other things. So, you know, my view is we we need to go continue to go forward. I support President Biden's uh, approach where he went to Israel right after the heinous attacks on October 7th, uh, gave what we called the, the big hug. That was the absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, but I think you can see that President Biden is increasingly frustrated, um, including getting, you know, such pushback and, and being totally rebuffed on his plan for two state solution um, that, you know, we, we have to look for alternative ways to accomplish our goals, which are not only in the best interests of the United States, uh, but also, I believe, in the best interests of Israel and certainly um, for Palestinian civilians and for long term peace and stability in the region. And I know we need to let you go, but uh, if I could just ask one more question about not just conditions uh, for military aid to uh, you know, places like Ukraine and Israel, but also conditions that the Republican Party is imposing uh, on uh, approving that aid. And that has to do with immigration reform and border security here in the United States. Mitch McConnell uh, reportedly uh, met with his caucus yesterday saying we're not going to do anything on immigration because uh, Donald Trump wants to run on it uh, and he doesn't want a solution before the election. Um, where do things stand uh, in the Senate and the House in terms of the, the viability, the plausibility, the probability uh, of passing any immigration reform that would free up uh, the uh, the capacity of the United States to assist uh, Israel and Ukraine? Well, first of all, there, there's broad agreement that we do need to do more um, with respect to border security. If you look at President Biden's supplemental request, the one that's pending in front of the Senate, it includes uh, lots of additional resources uh, for border patrol agents, uh, for new devices that can detect uh, fentanyl, uh, trying to get through in trucks across 
the border. So there's there's no disagreement on the need to address border security issues. There are obviously different opinions on the best way to do that. But what happened was Republicans in the Senate started out linking uh, support for military assistance to Ukraine, um, which, as you know, is under brutal attack uh, by Vladimir Putin, uh, and support for the other elements in the bill, including Israel and East Asian countries, to connect them directly to some kind of agreement uh, on the border situation. And there were good faith discussions that went on for a very long time uh, in the Senate. And the two negotiators, the, the, the negotiators, And perhaps we have lost uh, Senator Van Hollen. Senator Van Hollen, can you hear me? All right, we've got a bad connection, and uh, our time was up with the senator. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I, oh, can there you we hear go. Me now? We got you back. All right, we I can apologize. finish up. Yeah. I don't know where you. I don't know what point you lost me. But what I was what I was saying was, you know, Republicans in the Senate have gone from requiring that we link assistance to Ukraine or Israel or other countries to a border security agreement. Now, as you indicated, you know, Senator McConnell has pointed out that Donald Trump is telling Republicans that he will to do no deal on border security. He doesn't want that to be uh, resolved. So uh, Senator McConnell has gone back to his caucus saying, well, maybe we do just need to move forward uh, with the other parts of the assistance program, especially dire at this moment is the need to provide the Ukrainian people with the assistance they need to fight off, um, you know, Vladimir Putin's aggression. Senator Chris Van Hollen. Senator, I always appreciate your carving out some time for us. Thanks so much, and we'll be in touch. Good to be with you. Thanks, Tom. Up next, let's talk some football. The Ravens are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday in a game that could propel our team to the Super Bowl. Jonas Schaefer of our news partner, the Baltimore Banner, joins me with a preview. If you are bursting with purple pride, give us a call and let's bask in the glow together. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. You can drop us a line, midday at wypr.org. We'd love to hear from you. After this quick break, I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. 